The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. So I ask you the question, what's new about the new year? What's new about the new year? And the answer is absolutely nothing except the attitude that you approach it with. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, History merely repeats itself. Nothing is truly new. It has all been done or said before. Nothing is truly new. So we're going into what's called a new year simply because the calendar flips over. But the truth is, unless we do something different, it's going to be a year just like the one we came out of. There's going to be good, there's going to be bad, there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. But the only thing that's truly going to change, if any change at all takes place, is my attitude and my approach to the new year. And I think that's a good reason that to, to actually celebrate a new year. I remember when you went to school in, it, in uh, my day, they started in September. But uh, when you went back in September, there was a fresh attitude. You got a new teacher. Uh, you got uh, new lessons, new assignments. Uh, you moved up a grade. There was a new grade. And so uh, it was exciting to have a new start. In Sunday school, uh, we used to have uh, uh, Promotion Sunday. My little brother called it Commotion Sunday, and he was probably more accurate. But you would go to a, a new Sunday school teacher, a new class, a new year would start over. We had those little quarterlies, and you'd start over with a new quarterly, and it was an, a new beginning, a new time. And everybody at the beginning of a new time looks for a way to make it a little better, a little refreshing, a little, a little better experience than what it has been. And uh, so going into a new year, we ought to be able to do the same thing. We ought to take some inventory. We ought to take some stock of our life and to see uh, what we can do improving our minds and hearts in order to move into the new year uh, in, in a new attitude and a, and a new uh, understanding. So I want us to look at three areas of our life. I want us to look at my relationship with my God, my family, and my day-to-day. And so the first is, I want to look at my relationship to God. Psalm 34 and verse 1 says, that the Lord's, uh, the Lord is near them that are of a broken heart and those that are of a contrite spirit. The Lord is near those that are of a broken heart and He saves those that are from a contrite spirit. So those are Bible words. What does it mean to have a broken heart? And what does it mean to have a contrite spirit? And the picture is from the, uh, is a, uh, a warrior surrendering. The picture is from a warrior surrendering. And he would take his bow and he would break it. And then he would lay it down. So the broken heart, the bow broken, 
I'm no longer in rebellion. I'm no longer an enemy. I'm no longer defensive. I've broken the bow. And not only have I broken the bow, I have surrendered unto uh, the, the higher authority. I have surrendered to the superior army. I have surrendered to a new king. I have surrendered my life uh, to that which I used to be opposed to. So the Bible says that God, it draws near those who are of a broken heart, who have quit rebelling and, and quit being defensive against God, and He saves those that are of a contrite spirit. In a, in a, uh, 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 a war, if you broke your bow and you laid it down at the, uh, at the victor's feet, that would be defeat, wouldn't it? That would be defeat. But in the Christian life, no, it's not defeat, it's victory. When you quit fighting against God, when you quit trying to be independent and do it your way, when you break your rebellion against God and you surrender to God, guess what happens? You're freed up. God gives you the victory. God allows you to be strong. The Bible says in James chapter 4 and verse 10, when you realize your worthlessness before God, he will lift you up, encourage, and help you. He'll lift you up. He will encourage you. He will help you. Why? Because you have surrendered to Him. And I want you to think about it this morning. Somehow or another, I'm not talking about men stop being men. I'm not talking about women becoming subservient slaves. I'm not talking about giving up. Uh, you know, I, I love to think of an artist, an artist that's just absolutely beyond uh, comparison, and yet the artwork is surrendered to Christ. What goes on the canopy is not what the artist wants to put on the canopy, but what the artist's heart, as God has revealed it to him, wants to put on the canopy. He puts on the canopy what God wants on the canopy. As he does that, does God in any way squish his talent? Does God in any way compromise this man's greatness or his ability to do that? No. No, in fact, if anything, God encourages, God strengthens, uh, God welcomes His creativity. God wants His uh, art, His uh, artistic talents to be used. He's not thwarting who we are. God in no ways wants to thwart. He made us, remember? He gave us the brain we have. He gave us the gifts and talents. He gave us the ability to do this and the other. God's not going to thwart that. What He wants is it surrendered to Him and put in His hand for His use. My wife gets mad at me every time I use... Hi, Linda. Every time I use this example, she gets mad at me. But I was at the fair several years ago, and I've also been to Grant's farm where Budweiser... <laughs> raises those huge Clydesdale horses. And I love them. They're absolutely phenomenal-looking animals. Uh, they've got feet that look like a number two wash tub. They're huge. And the animal, you know, I mean, like his chin's up here. I mean, that dude is tall. He's big. Dude weighs over 2,000 pounds. He's huge. And I see him pulling that wagon, and there's eight of them. Eight of those monsters. 
And there's a little man sitting up there with the reins, just driving them. He wants them to turn right. He yanks us. He wants them to turn left. He yanks this way. Man, is that man stronger than those animals? Absolutely not. Boy, if they got a wild hair about him, they'd carry him on a ride. They'd carry him on a ride. You know what I'm saying? And uh, in fact, several years ago, I got a Pergeron horse. Uh, and he had those kind of feet and that size, except he thought he was a lap cat. It was terrible. I had Chris's trailer at my house one day, and I had left it out there, but I'd also left the, the uh, barnyard gate open, so the horses were out in the front of the barn keeping it mowed. <laughs> That's what I use for mowers. <laughs> and so they were out there mowing, and uh, Chris came in there to get his trailer. He couldn't, it took him an hour and a half. The horse was trying to get in his pocket. And a 2,000-pound horse trying to get in your pocket can do that. In fact, he can get it. He just moved his head and throw Chris about seven feet the other way. And uh, Chris finally had to go get some feed and go outside the fence and feed. And the horse went out there and he shut the gate right quick. He'd never, that horse get ready to leave the farm, he'd walk up to a fence and go, stake his foot, push it down and walk out. I had to sell the horse. But uh, those animals are huge. But their power has been surrendered to the driver. It's been surrendered to a man. Not compromised. The power has never been compromised. It has been surrendered. That's what God wants from us. He's not trying to take your life away from you. God's not some kind of party pooper that wants to ruin your life. Oh, He wants to bless your life. He wants to thrill your life, increase your life. He wants your life to abound. He just doesn't want you to be the center of it. He wants to be the center of it. And in letting Him do that, you'll be blessed beyond measure. You'll be re recognized as one of God's children in God. The people will see your good deeds. They'll see God in you. And what will they do? They'll glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So let's, uh, let's ask ourselves some questions. In any decision that's to be made, do I want to do it my way or God's way? You have to think about that. Do I want to do it God's way or my way? And I'm telling you, it's hard to figure that out sometimes. I want to do something sometimes so bad, I can just make God agree with me. Well, in my stupidity, I can. You know what I'm saying? I can just get ahead of God. I can run over Him. You know, God kind of just quietly, what He waits on, God waits on us to ask Him. And if I make an assumption I know what God's doing, I'm not necessarily right. Sometimes I can just make up my own mind, it's a good thing, I'm going to go do it. And get myself in all kind of trouble and all kind of a mess. Or am I interested foremost in doing it His way, or am I foremost interested in doing it my way? Am I moving toward God or away from God? Now listen, there are things going on in all of our lives. There's a focus in our life. 
there's something that we thirst and hunger after. Is the thing that we're thirsting and hungering after, is that leading us toward God? Or is that leading us away from God? You know that. I don't. But if you're going to be honest in moving into the new year and you want God to get glory through your life and you want to be tight with Him and you want to be blessed by Him, you have to answer that question. Are you drawing nearer to Him? Are you getting further away from Him? You're going through life taking or giving. Is life about you? Primarily about you? Or do you exist to live for others? Do you believe others live for you? That everybody else was put here for your blessing? <laughs> or were you put here to be a blessing to them? I'm telling you, there are people out there that just feel like, hey, the whole world's about them. Everybody and everything ought to serve them. I would not do good. Now, now it's okay to admit this. Did you see Medea's Christmas movie? Don't, don't, probably don't want to volunteer for that. I would make about as good customer service representative as she did. You know, when somebody comes in and, and they're just complaining about, about me, you know, there was a guy at Sears one time. I knew the guy. He didn't work for Sears. He would order a brand new saddle back when Sears had saddles. He would use it for a horse show and carry it back to Sears. And everybody in town knew he's doing it. I mean, it's a small town. That might happen to me once. Twice, that old boy beating that saddle. You know, the world ain't about him. Sears didn't exist to, to help him win horse shows. You understand? And so is life about what you can get out of it or what you can get put in it? They don't put epithets on tombstones anymore. But if they did, I would like one on mine. And it's all it would say is, he made a difference. When it's all said and done, when life's over, did it matter to anybody whether you were here or not? And I'll tell you this, on your very worst day, on your very worst day, somebody still needs you. On your very worst day, somebody still needs you. There was an old joke years ago. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict? <laughs> would there be enough evidence? Does it make it? Now, we're going to start a new series next Sunday. And it's called, I Am a Church Member. And that's what it's going to focus on, is our relationship to the body of Christ. First and foremost, I need to love Jesus and be close to Jesus. But second of all, I function in a body of other believers. I function. I serve Christ primarily in a body of other believers. And so we're going to look at how we can better do what it is the church is supposed to be about. And so we're going to be doing that for the next six weeks.
And so there'll be a set of sermon series. I'm going to do some of them. Grant's going to do some. Uh, I'm going to do some at Arlington, and Randy will be doing them. But after service today, there's these little books, and you don't have to buy them. You, you'll get it in the sermon. But if you want the little book to kind of go along with what we're doing, they're five bucks. Mark will be here at the end of the service, and uh, you just get one for family. It's no big deal. Uh, you know, that's what they cost. We ordered them for that. We're going to give them back at that. And if you'd like that book, get it because you can prepare yourself. I want you to take this seriously. You better listen to me close. And I mean this, close. If the church doesn't start becoming the church, the organized church going out of business. Now, Jesus will never go out of business. And believers will, there'll always be believers coming to know the Lord. But the organized church, the one we see, the one we know, will absolutely wad up and die if the church doesn't become the New Testament church God intended for it to be. And this is a start in that direction. So that's what the, we're going to be talking about the entire new year. And uh, so if you want one of those little books, be sure to stop and get one of that because primarily I focus on the Lord Christ. But the Lord Christ focuses on lost men. My focus is on Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. Where's Jesus going? If I'm going to keep my eye on Jesus and follow Jesus, where's Jesus going? He's going right back into this old nasty world I live in and try to love its people and win them to himself. So where am I going to follow him? To heaven and just sit there and wait on him and get back? No, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to follow him into this nasty world and I'm going to focus on what he focuses on and that's trying to love people and win them to Jesus Christ. And that's the message and that's the mission of the church. And oftentimes we've missed it. You need to look closely at how you relate to God. Second is how you relate to your family. <laughs> Man, this is a tough one. Do you see your family as a mission field? Do you see your primary witness to Christ in your family? That's it. That's what it's supposed to be. Our primary witness is with our family. We spend more time, not necessarily good time, but we spend more time with our family. Our family sees us like we are. The world sees us like we show it. The world sees us like we present ourselves. Got it? The family sees us like we are. There's a great illustration over in the book of Ezekiel about... Uh, uh, a measuring line, and this guy gets in the water, and he starts out ankle deep because that's how the public sees him. He goes to uh, knee deep, and then eventually he's waist deep. And 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 the, the the point is, is they had these big old long outer garments that they wore in public, and then they get home and they would take these garments off, and they were little short tunics that were their uh, comfort clothes that they went around. We call them our Tipton County clothes. There are things you can wear in Tipton County you just can't wear anywhere else. And it's all right because everybody else does. So uh, we call them our, our, our Tipton County clothes. And, uh, but that's how your family sees you. 
And then there's another part they don't even see. That's what's in your heart. But the way you are at home is really kind of who you are. That's how you present yourself. Now, is it okay to have a time out from God when you're home? Is it okay to say, God, I'm off duty now that I'm home? God, I'm home. I don't have to act Christian anymore. I can take my mask off and relax and be me at home. We try to, but it don't. <laughs> it, and, and so here's the point. And, and, and let me tell you, most of the time I expose my ugly heart through my ugly mouth. I reveal who I am and what I'm thinking by what I say. True? True, and we do. And so the Bible says a whole lot about this. Look and see what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, 29-31. Don't use bad language. Say only that which is good and helpful to those you are talking to. And what will give them a blessing? Stop being mean, bad-tempered, and angry, quarreling, harsh words, and dislike of others should have no place in your life. Well, how about some others, God? <laughs> I mean, everybody? I've got to be nice like to everybody? You especially be nice. Proverbs 15, 1 through 4. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Harsh words call, cause quarrels. Gentle words cause life and health. Griping brings discouragement. Did you ever live in a house where nothing makes anybody happy? Everybody's just grumpy all the time. And after a while, you want to throw up your hands and say, why don't I want to keep doing this? Or you say, wait a minute, you've pushed me too far. I'm going to push you back. Well, that fixes a lot, doesn't it? Proverbs 15, 28. A good man thinks before he speaks. The evil man pours out of his evil words, or pours out his evil words, without a thought. Now listen to me carefully. What I say, does it pick them up or put them down? What I say, does it pick them up or put them down? Children's uh, self-worth is determined by the time they're seven years old. Children's self-worth is determined by the time they're seven years old. And pri the, primary, the primary influencer of a child's self-worth is who? The parents. So I speak to you who are grandparents or to those of you who don't have any children at all, but you're around children. So you don't know how those poor kids are being treated. You don't know. Boy, I've learned to, with children to be so loving and to be so kind. Lately, I've been giving some... Uh, uh, 
test at, up at Tipton County School System for achievement test. And everybody we're working with is low achievers. <laughs> you know that on the front end. And uh, I bring them in, I sit them down, and I say, hey, we're fixing to play a game. Not a very fun game, but it's a game. They call it a test, but you can't fail it and you can't pass it, so it's not much of a test. I'm the easiest person on the planet to get along with. Here's some Jolly Ranchers. That other stuff, they just kind of looking at you. You mention those Jolly Ranchers, and you think you flipped on a light switch. They start grinning from ear to ear. And you just start befriending them, and you start... You'd be surprised the stuff you hear. They're so starved for one kind person, one, one friend, just one friend, just one person that will be nice to them and be pleasant to them and be encouraging to them. And boy, once they discover it, they just start blab blabbing it out. Just start talking. Okay? Children absolutely desire, they thirst, they hunger for affirmation, for love, and for that genuine, do I matter? Do I matter? And so your words to your children, does it pick them up or put them down? I promise. Man, it's so easy to be negative. Y'all know I used to preach here every Sunday, so you got tired of hearing some of this stuff. But when you smash your finger, do you have any trouble thinking of something to say? But when you want to compliment somebody, do you have to work at it? Yeah, because we're so we're we're so used to talking negative, we're so used to complaining and griping and pointing out that that's wrong, we're at a loss for words when it comes time to point out something good. You get that report card? Look for one thing to start with that's positive. Just one. Well, thank you, son. I appreciate you bringing it home. You, you were very good to bring it home. I'm real proud of you. You didn't forget you brought it home. You're a brave young man to bring this home. <coughs> I mean, that may be as positive as it gets, you know. <laughs> but don't start out with a negative. We can do better is how you handle that. Are your words to your family endearing or enduring? Endearing or enduring? Now, what do I mean by that? Well, when you speak to them, do they feel like they're drawn in and encouraged and, 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 and warmth? Do they feel the warmth? Or are they going to remember forever the ugliness, the hatred, the negativity that was in your words? Hey, and listen to me carefully. I know people in their 60s that are still bad wounded, bad wounded from ugly words that were said to them their entire life.
You understand? People that at the mention of a name, people, it just it flares up or it just makes them bow their head. Those unpleasantries last an absolute lifetime. You might as well take a branding iron and burn your kid right in his heart as to say ugly things. It lasts and lasts and lasts and lasts and lasts in their little lives because they were looking for affirmation. They were looking for self-worth and we destroy them with our words. Hey, do your words reflect lucky me or lucky you? Huh? Does your family know that you're just blessed to have them? Or do you make them put, you put them on a guilt trip because they don't appreciate you enough? You know, my kids asked me one time, Linda and I never have really gotten each other any Christmas presents. Well, we did when we first got married. And I'd buy her ugly clothes she didn't like. And she'd buy me stuff, and I wondered, I don't wear that. I can't use that. So one day during Christmas, we might take each other shopping and get something, and then we'll wrap it up and stick it under the tree because the kids will think we had a little something. But kids asked me one time, they said, Dad, you don't ever get anything for Christmas. And I said, oh, yes, I do. Oh, I get everything from Christmas. When I see you have Christmas, I have Christmas. Isn't that right, Mom and Dad? I don't need stuff. Okay? I don't need it. What I need is to know that the little ones have been blessed. That's all that matters. So does it is it lucky me or lucky you? I want to ask you one other thing. What do your priorities say about where God is in your life? What do your priorities say about where God is in your life? And remember, they're watching. They're watching. They're constantly watching. If you don't believe me, slip and say the wrong thing. They'll point it right out to you. You say, you were in the other room. They're constantly like little radars out there, absorbing everything that's going on around them. The older you get, the less good you are at it. But those little fellows can do ten things at one time, pay attention to all of them. Okay? And so they hear, they see, they watch they know what's going on. So what do your priorities say about where God is in your life? Now the last is this, and that's my life outside in the world around me. Uh, you and I will spend the greatest part of our work waking day at work or in our community, whatever that is. And so the Bible says, don't work hard only when your master's watching, when the boss is watching, 
and shirk when he isn't looking, but work hard with gladness all the time. I used to share with uh, the CNAs at the little nursing home, I would share with them, hey, this is probably not your dream job. Changing diapers in a nursing home would not be my dream job. But it is a paycheck in a bad economy. Now you've got two choices. Make the best of it so you keep your job or do a lousy job and become unemployed. You, you understand? Now that's just the basics of work. Somebody hires me to work. They didn't hire me to give me a gift. They hired me to do something. If I do it with a good attitude, I protect my job. If I halfway do it and do that with a lousy attitude, the boss immediately begins to look for my replacement. They don't owe you a job. Do you understand? You're not owed a job. You earn a job. You earn a paycheck. And so the Bible's giving very plain wisdom. If you're a Christian, you got a job, do your job. And do it with a good attitude. How simple is that? That's a novel idea, isn't it? Like, duh, work. That's new. But then it says this. As though working for Christ. In other words, the way you serve the company you work for is like you would if Jesus was the boss. And I hear you. I already heard you. Yeah, but my boss ain't Jesus. Mm, didn't say that. Didn't say he had to be Jesus first. It just says you work as if you work for Jesus. Okay? And you do your best and you do it with a good attitude. But then he goes on to say something further. It says doing the will of God with all of your heart. There's a secondary thing that needs to be accomplished at work. There is a secondary thing that needs to be accomplished at work. That is doing the will of God with all of your heart. Did you catch that? You work as unto Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. You put in a day's work for a day's pay. Good attitude. That's what you're supposed to do. But then the Bible says, but you further that experience at work by doing the will of God from the heart. That's your biggest mission fields where you work. Your biggest mission fields where you work. Love people. Pray with them. Reach out to them. Be kind to them. Be helpful to them. Well, when Charlene was uh, going through cancer at, at uh, lung cancer, her, her fellow nurses at the med would work an extra shift. They rotate. They set them up a little chart. And they rotated and worked an extra shift so she could have a paycheck. They do it at like gas and water. If a guy gets off and gets down, they'll set up a chart. And they'll work an extra shift. And then they'll give that money on the guy that's sick or been in a wreck or whatever. 
wonder why Christians wouldn't think about that. Just people out in the world think of that. and We don't oftentimes. Going out of your way to be loving and kind and a servant to those that you work with. That's your mission field. That's where you work. That's where you're exposed to people. We were out the other night, and I'd run in the drugstore, in the pharmacy, and Linda was sitting out in the car, and I got back. She was engrossed in this conversation with this lady, and Linda was in the driver's seat in her side window, and I went on and got in the car, and I could tell it was kind of a, a teary, serious conversation, and I thought, well, surely Linda knows this person, and I didn't know him, and I was just sitting there. No, no, no. This person had pulled up next to Linda. Linda didn't know this person from Adam. And she was bawling her heart out. And finally, Linda let the window down. Linda actually thought maybe she was sick at first. So Linda thought, my Lord, if the girl's, you know, going to throw up or have a... She had a little kid with her. If she's going to have a heart attack out here in the parking lot, I need to do something. So finally she got the girl's tent. She rolled a car down. She said, honey, are you okay? And oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. You know, for the next 45 minutes, that little kid poured her heart out. Divorced. and uh, Husband was being ugly to the kid and, and uh, just, you know, just poured her heart out. So Linda gave her as much information, prayed with her, and gave her as much information as she could to come and talk to us. Come and let us sit down and see if we can help her. Man, they're hurting people out there all over the place. Show them a little bit of kindness and watch it happen. Go out of your way to be a little loving and watch it happen. Well, I don't want to have somebody attach themselves to me at work. I can't get my work done for... Life's kind of messy, folks. Ministry's really messy. Do you know that? If you're going to minister to somebody, it's messy. It's dirty. There are real people in real bad situations that need prayer and help. And if you're going to get in it, you'll be inconvenient somewhat to do it. It's worth it. Because look at the last line. And it says, Remember... The Lord will pay you for each good thing you do, whether you're a slave or free. Man, even if, even if you're in hell working every day. I mean, it's awful where you work. You think you're a slave or a dog where you work. Everybody around you is awful. God will repay you for every good thing. Deed you do. So I ask a couple of questions in closing. What's your attitude right now towards your job? What's your attitude right now towards your job? Is it one you could show before God and say, Here, God, I give you my best effort here on the job? Do I see my work is a paycheck or a mission field? Do I see my job as a paycheck or a mission field?
Father, I come before my sweet people. And I love these people. And this is a loving, giving, serving church. I thank you for that. I know that as we begin the study, we're going we're to get better at being the body of Christ. We're going to begin to see how we function as the body of Christ. But outside our relationship to God and our relationship to our church, what does our life look like at home? Is our candle burning there at the house? Is it putting out a good, clean light so that we guide our family in a good way, not a bad way? How about at work? Are we known as helpers? Or are we known as distractors? People around us look at us as kind-hearted people, or they look at us as selfish, uh, self-centered, arrogant people. I mean, that's who we really are. At home and at work, boy, people quickly find out who we are. And I pray, God, that as we enter the new year, we just look closely at those three areas. My walk with Christ, my walk at home, and my walk in the world around me. And just make sure that Christ is honored in all of those areas. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.